Do we want more of God? Do we want to be used more by God? Do we want to see God bring Himself glory more and more through our hearts and through our lives? And the reality is, that is a question that we can easily say yes to. That's a question that we can all sort of say amen together without thinking through it. But oftentimes, we find that when God uses us, when God gives more of Himself to us, it requires us to depend less and less upon ourselves. And oftentimes, that causes us to be in a situation where we are not in control as much as we want to be in control. You see, it is oftentimes in my life that I am at I am the least in control, where I have no no control, and I feel like everything's out of my hands. That I've been used by God more. It's in those times that I sort of can't help God, thankfully, and God is able to do through me what He intends to do through me. And so we see that in the life of Daniel. Daniel and his amigos, his uh, companions here, are going to be used by God in a mighty, mighty way. And they're going to be used by God to bring God glory and fame to His name in a pagan pagan land. And God is going to do all of this for his own glory. God is going to do all of this while providing for Daniel and his companions. But what we will see is that it will not be easy for them. It will be quite difficult for them. And as we look at characters in the Bible like Joseph and Daniel who are taken to a foreign land, who are used to bring God glory to his name, we oftentimes think, man, how great, how awesome, how fantastic for them God, don't do that in my life, right? Because these are not easy. These are not easy callings to have. This is not an easy life that Daniel and his friends are going to live. But what I want us to see throughout this entire study through the book of Daniel is that God is sovereign over every single thing. Right? God is in control, in other words. He is over all. Nothing happens apart from God's glory and God's blessing and God allowing it. Some things appear to be good. Other things appear to be bad, even devastating. But even those devastating things, although God doesn't cause those things, those things are the result of sin, God uses them for His glory and to make His name known because that's what God is doing. Right? And, and don't, don't misunderstand who we are and what we are here for. We are here for the glory of God. Right? We are not here to live a happy, blessed, and easy life. Right? We are not here to accomplish the American dream. That's what we've fooled ourselves into thinking we're here for. That's what we've fooled ourselves into thinking life is all about. But I just want to remind you, you have been created in the image of God for the glory of God, and that's why we are here. Amen? And so we look at a life like Daniel's, and we see hardships, we see difficulties, but on this side of it, we look back in hindsight, and we see that God was doing all things for His glory, and that God was displaying His sovereignty. And when I talk about the sovereignty of God, I want you to understand that God is sovereign in big things and little things. Right? What we're going to see, even this morning, is that God is sovereign over nations, and God is sovereign over diets, right? You'll, you'll, you'll see as we go through. It's, it's quite humorous. 
that God is sovereign over the big and the small. But as we kind of get started, let me give you a little context, historical context to the book of Daniel. First of all, the book of Daniel is an extremely important book in the Old Testament that we will see is very appropriate for us today. Just because this is the Old Testament doesn't mean that it has nothing for us this morning. As a matter of fact, if you ever feel as if the world around you is becoming more and more anti-Christian and that your values are conflicting more and more with societies, the book of Daniel is for you this morning. Right? No one, no one has ever experienced, well I say no one, not many have experienced the conflict with their society and with the world around them like Daniel and his companions are going to experience. And although we feel like what we're going through oftentimes has only happened to us and it's the first time it's ever happened, remember there's nothing new under the sun, Amen. These things have historically happened over and over and over again. And so Daniel will help us see how we can survive in the midst of a society that is anti-God, anti-Christian, and does not believe in our values. The book of Daniel is designed by Daniel and by God to remind the Israelites and us that God is sovereign. Now, remember the historical context that leads up to the book of Daniel. I'm going to give you some dates don't, uh, don't get bored, this is not history, but this is important for context. And remember that when I give you the dates, I'm giving these to you in B.C. before Christ, which means that the dates are going to go down, right? They're going to go from 930 down to 586 as we see uh, history evolving. I know that's opposite of our dates today. We could go forward, these go opposite way. And so don't let that confuse you either this morning. But just remember that Israel divided itself into two kingdoms after the death of Solomon in 930 B.C. Israel in the north and Judah in the south. So after the death of Solomon, the nation of Israel divides itself into Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Now remember that all throughout the Old Testament, we see a common thread. Israel as a whole is living in disobedience to God. They are worshiping foreign gods, pagan gods. They are doing things that God had forbid them to do. And if you'll remember back in the book of Deuteronomy, when God gave Israel the law, God said that He would bless them immensely. He would lead them to a promised land where God would do great things in them and through them. But if they failed to keep the law, part of their punishment and judgment would be removal from the land, right? And we've seen all throughout the Old Testament that Israel consistently disobeyed God. Time and time and time again. So much so as you read through the Old Testament, you wonder why God doesn't just wipe them off the face of the earth. Amen? And the reason is because God is faithful even when we are not. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? God is faithful even when we are not. So, in seven. Uh, excuse me, 723 B.C., the northern kingdom of Israel is taken captive and overrun by the Assyrian Empire. But the southern kingdom of Judah is spared. And the southern kingdom of Judah is where Daniel and his friends lived. However, in 605 B.C., Judah was finally overtaken by Babylon, as we will see this morning. We're going to pick up there, and including Daniel and his companions, the first what we call deportation, where Israelites are taken out of Jerusalem into Babylon 
takes place in 605 B.C. That's what we're going to look at this morning. In 590 B.C., the second deportation takes place. Babylon comes back to Jerusalem because Jerusalem's king has rebelled against Babylon. And so Babylon comes back and they take 10,000 more captives, including the king and Ezekiel in 597 B.C. And then in 586 B.C., this is our last date, 586 B.C., Babylon enters for the third time, and this time Babylon has had enough. And so they enter into the city, they tear down the walls of the the city, they burn Jerusalem to the ground, and they destroy the temple. And so in 586, the last remnant is taken captive in Babylon. Some Israelites flee to the hills, but most of them are now in captivity in Babylon. What is interesting about the book of Daniel is Daniel's entire life and ministry covers the entire 70-year period that Israel is in Babylonian captivity. Daniel's taken as a teenager. He dies as an old man, having spent his entire life in ministry in captivity in Babylon. And so what we're going to see is that although Jerusalem was laid to waste, that all of this was a part of God's judgment over Israel because they refused to repent of their sin and they failed to keep the law. And so as we're going to pick up this morning, we're going to pick up in chapter 1, we're going to read just the first seven verses as we begin, and ultimately we're going to make our way through the entire chapter this morning as we see God's sovereignty on display. So look with me now, chapter 1, verse 1, let's read this together, then we'll pray, and then we'll jump in. It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them into the land of Shinar to the house of his God and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded uh, Ashpenaz, the king, uh, excuse me, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belthazar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Let's pray and then we'll walk through the text together. Lord, we thank you again for the opportunity that we get together to just be able to gather together and worship you and walk through your word together. Lord, we're excited about beginning a new study through the book of Daniel this morning. Lord, I pray that we would not only see that you are sovereign in all things, but Lord, that knowing you are sovereign, Lord, it would strengthen our faith that we might be more willing to obey you and allow you to stretch us so that we can bring you glory in our lives. Lord, we thank you for all that you're going to do this morning. We surrender this time and we surrender ourselves to you and we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be glorified now in our midst. It's in your holy name that we pray 
Amen. Amen. So here, Daniel is reminding the Israelites that God is sovereign in declaring His glory to the nations. And in the text, we're going to see three ways that God is sovereign in in declaring His glory to the nations. Number one, God is sovereign in moving His people throughout the nations. Let me say that again. God is sovereign in moving His people throughout the nations. So in verse 1, the scene is set for the rest of the book of Daniel. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, which puts us at 605 B.C., the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. He overtook it, and he took the first captives captive in 605 B.C. For hundreds of years, God had warned the nation of Israel again and again that judgment was coming. Prophets had prophesied. The law had made it clear what the punishment would be. For hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, God had warned the nation of Israel. Israel had responded by continuing to reject God, reject His law, murdered prophets. Israel was asking God for his judgment. And finally, here in this text, we see that through the hand of Babylon, God begins to judge the nation of Israel. Now, what I want you to notice here is that God is sovereign as Daniel makes that very, very clear. Look with me in verse 2. It says, and the Lord. Now, first of all, that term Lord is not the term that we normally see translated Lord, Yahweh. This is the term Adonai. And that term translates into ruler, overseer, or sovereign. And so what Daniel is doing is he's calling the Lord the sovereign so that we will understand that God is in control. Notice the second word we see there, and the Lord gave. Nebuchadnezzar does not overtake Jerusalem because he's more powerful, because he's a better military leader. God gave Israel into his hands. And so this was all a part of God's sovereign plan. God was doing this for His greater purposes, ultimately for His glory. And so we see that God gave into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, Jehoiakim the king of Judah, and some of the vessels that he then took out of the house of God and brought them to the land of Shinar. Now a couple of names appear that all are Babylon, but God is pointing some things out to us that I think are interesting and helpful. The word Shinar there, it means Babylon. It is the same territory of Babylon, but it reminds us of another significant event that took place in the land of Shinar that was rebellion against God. The same thing that took place that reminds us of where Babylon got its name, the Tower of Babel. Right, And so this is a land that is infamous now for rejecting God and trying to fall out from underneath the authority of God. And so we see that he takes these vessels that he's taken from the house of God and he brings them to his house of God, which most likely was the false god, the Babylonian god, Marduk. Now, notice he doesn't just take people, I mean, excuse me, the vessels, but he also takes some of the people look at what happens in verse 3 then he commanded or excuse me then the king commanded Aspenaz the chief eunuch to bring some of the people of Israel listen to the description here he wants the cream of the crop if you will he says bring me those who are uh, who are endowed or excuse me 
excuse me, verse 4, who are without blemish. First of all, they're youths. They're without blemish. They're of good appearance. They're skillful in wisdom. They're endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. And he says, bring them so that we can teach them the literature and the language of Babylon. Or, excuse me, of the Chaldeans. Another word for Babylon. Don't miss what's happening here. These are teenagers. These are teenagers that are ripped from their home, their family, their friends, and their land. And they're placed into a foreign pagan land where they will now be indoctrinated with the learning, the literature, the language, and even the religion of the Babylonians. Right? And so they are ripped from their home. They're ripped from their land. They're teenagers. Their parents are not with them. And they are now going to be indoctrinated with what Babylon believes and what they know and what they think. And for three years, they will stand before, excuse me, they will, they will be trained, they will be indoctrinated, so that after three years, they can then stand before the king and be tested and judged as to what they might bring to the Babylonian kingdom. Not only are they indoctrinated, but notice as well, their names are also going to be changed. Now, we notice in verse 5, it says that the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that the king drank. Now, pause there for a minute. That doesn't seem to be too bad, right? I mean, you in this foreign land, and you, you get the king's food. You get the king's drink. But remember that the Israelites were forbidden from eating the king's food and drinking the king's drink. It was unclean. And so for them to eat these things and drink these things, it would have defiled them according to the law. Now, why is Israel in this situation to begin with? Because they disobeyed the law, right? And so Daniel and his friends are not only being indoctrinated, but they're also being tempted into continuing to defile themselves by breaking God's law. And so the king not only sets this temptation before them, but notice as well as we continue on, he also is going to give them new names. Now again, it doesn't sound like a huge deal to change someone's name until you remember and understand what their names meant to begin with. Remember, names were significant. Right? You weren't named after your, your uncle or your granddad or your dad. You were normally named after some characteristic of the God that you served. And so listen to what the names meant. Daniel, the name translates into God is my judge. Hananiah translates Yahweh is gracious. Michelle translates into who is like God. And Azariah, Yahweh will help. Just think of the significance of their names. Every time they called one another by name, they were reminded of who God is. They were reminded of the faithfulness of their God. They were reminded of what God will do. God will help. Amen? And the king says, no, 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 those, those will not do. Instead, let's change their names and let's give them new names, Babylonian names, that, by the way, likely pay tribute to false Babylonian gods. And so Daniel has changed his name, he's changed to Belthazar, Hananiah to Shadrach, and Mishael to Meshach, and Azariah to Abednego. And so all of a sudden, as we jump into just the first seven verses, we begin to see that God is allowing some devastating things to take place in the nation of Israel and specifically in these four young men's lives. 
And the, the question is, why? What, what is God doing? Why is God allowing this to happen? Why are these things taking place? And the reality is what we begin to see is that God is moving His people to where He needs them to be in order to make His name known and bring Himself glory. Remember, as I mentioned earlier, we exist for the glory of God, and therefore God oftentimes moves His people in order to reveal His glory in another place. Now, pay attention to this. Sometimes this happens on a small scale, and sometimes this happens on a larger scale. But when God moves His people, He moves His people for His glory. So let me ask you, let me ask you a question. Let's take a survey. Okay, you're allowed to raise your hand. You're, you're on that side of the camera. No one will know. Okay? So how many of you have ever moved from one house to another house? Okay? You were moved for God's glory. God took you from one place to put you in another place so that in that new place you could bring him glory. How many of you have ever moved from one job to another job? You're moved for the glory of God. God took you from one setting and put you in another setting because he wanted to use you for his glory. All right, one state to another state. One country to another country. We got one. All right? Listen, small scale, large scale, God moves his people for his glory. The problem is most of the time we miss what God's doing because we're too focused on the here and now in eternal. That's why it's so important that we be reminded that we are not citizens of the United States. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. Amen? Because when we start focusing too much on this, we miss what God's doing up there. Amen? And what is fascinating about the book of Daniel is Daniel does not write this book in the midst of this. God, Daniel writes this book in 530 B.C. I told you his last date. It's not. Oops. 530 B.C. as Daniel looks back over his 70-year ministry in Babylon. And he's reminding the nation of Israel that's what God was doing all along. In the midst of it, Daniel doesn't know. In the midst of it, Daniel is not aware. And I promise you, he is not excited about what God's doing. Amen? In the midst of he's struggling like we would imagine he is struggling, but God is using him for his glory. And God is moving his people where he needs them. Right? Again, sometimes it seems like a good thing. Sometimes it's a new job. It's a promotion. Sometimes it's a move from one neighborhood to another neighborhood, maybe from a smaller house to a bigger house. Sometimes the move looks good. Amen? And then sometimes the move looks bad. Sometimes the transition seems rough, like it does for Daniel and his companions. But understand that God is sovereign. And God is moving his people for his glory. He is sovereign over all things, even those things that don't seem good in the moment. He's doing all things for his glory, even when we cannot see it in the moment. And so here we have Daniel writing after the fact to help us see how God used this for his glory. So let me just pause for a minute and ask you, how many of you are going through a difficulty right now? 
You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you are struggling? How many of you feel like life's just whooping you in the moment? Right? And it's tough. It's difficult. It's hard. And it hurts. And it's painful. And it's sad. And it's all of these things. I want you to be reminded. I want you to be encouraged. Even in the midst of difficulties, God is sovereign. Amen? Listen, that doesn't make it feel a lot better, but it helps a little bit. Amen? It helps to remember. It helps to be reminded. It helps to know that God is sovereign. And one day, you'll be able to look back. You may not, but one day, you may be able to look back and see, aha, that's what God was doing. But in the end, I promise you, God is using it for His glory. Amen? And so, y'all didn't sound like you were excited by that at all. Like, that was the most, like, just, yay, difficulties, right? And that's the reality of how we feel. Amen? Difficulties aren't fun. Transitions sometimes are hard. It's challenging. It hurts. But just be reminded God is using it for His glory. So God is sovereign in moving His people throughout the nations. But then secondly, God is sovereign in providing His people throughout the nations. So God provides for those that He moves. Notice what we see in verse 8. It says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Notice verse 9. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king? And Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in the flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Now listen, I've got mixed emotions when I read verses 8 through 16, right? I mean, all of us carnivores are, are just sort of struggling through those verses, right? But these verses help us see that God provides for those that he moves, right? And so here Daniel and them find themselves in this foreign land. They find themselves being indoctrinated and now tempted with delicious king's food. And Daniel resolves that he is not going to defile himself. Listen, let, let me give you some, some just advice. Resolve early on, before the temptation comes, that you will not defile yourself. Right? If you wait until the moment, you will not be as likely to succeed. Resolve now that you will not defile yourself. And that's exactly what Daniel and his companions do. They decide that they will not 
fall to temptation. And so Daniel goes to the chief of the eunuchs who's in charge of him, and he asks if he could be allowed not to defile himself. But notice what we see again in verse 9. God gave Daniel. This is not Daniel being a smooth talker. This is not Daniel being persuasive. It is God who changed the heart of the chief that's in charge of him. Right? This is God being sovereign over big things and little things. Amen? And so here, God gives him favor and God gives him compassion. But the chief of the eunuchs is still underneath the king's authority. And so he asks a logical question. You're, you're asking that you not be defiled, but you're asking me to defile the king's command. And what happens when he stands, you stand before the king in three years and the king looks at you and says, you're not as healthy as the rest. What happened? You're not the one that's going to be in trouble. I'm the one that's going to have my head removed by the king. And so Daniel says, well, then let's do a test for 10 days. What's 10 days out of three years? You give me and my friends nothing but vegetables and water. And you give everyone else the king's food and the king's drink. And after 10 days, you look, you compare, and you decide what's best. And so for 10 days, Daniel and his companions ate vegetables and drank water. God had provided. Because God is sovereign even over their diet. Right? Now listen, it's obvious from parents that I've never really been into weightlifting. Right? The, the most weights I normally lift is when I stand up from sitting down or lie, you know, raise up. That's the weight I like to lift, my own weight. Right? But at a point in, when I was younger and I was in high school and even going into college, I did get around some friends and we liked to work out. We went to the gym and, and we just were there for everybody else's amusement, basically. Right? But the one thing I did kind of learn when I was working out for the short period of my life when I did is that if you want to build muscle mass, if you want to build size and strength and muscles, you need something called protein, right? Protein is what we find in meat, right? There's weird people that drink it in shakes and stuff, but it's way better if it just comes straight from a steak, right? right? If you, if you want to lose weight, ask any of your spouses, men. You eat vegetables when you want to lose weight, right? And so if you want to slim down and trim down and get in better, better physical shape, you know, less likely to have a heart attack, you eat the vegetables. But if you want to be stronger in appearance and fattier in the flesh, you eat meat, right? And again, I like to recommend the red stuff. It's good. Well done, though. Get the red out of it, but it's good, right? But notice what God does. God blesses Daniel. He provides for Daniel and his companions. And after 10 days, when they stand before the chief of the eunuchs, they appear, notice in verse 15, they were better in appearance and fatter in the flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. And so the chief said, you know what? Everyone now gets Daniel and his companions' diets. He takes away all the king's food, all the king's drink, and he gives them vegetables and water. You want to talk about being an unpopular guy in the clubhouse, right? Don't miss that. Daniel not only decides and resolves in verse 8, I will not be defiled. Daniel's willing to do what it takes to be faithful to his God. And I can promise you he was not the popular guy when the king's food got taken and vegetables and water got thrown in, right? But God provided And that's what I want you to remember. 
that in the midst of what we're going through, we need to remember and understand that God, yes, moves His people for His glory. God works in our midst for His glory. But as God is doing that, He provides what we need. He provides all that we need. Amen? So that we can bring Him glory. Therefore, let's take courage. Let's be strong. Let's trust that God is working in us for His glory and our good. And when we're going through the difficulties of life, don't be afraid about what God is doing, but instead look forward to God working in us and through us, even acknowledging that I may not see it and I may not really appreciate it until the other side of it. Amen? Listen, I'm not saying enjoy the difficulties. I'm not saying if God rips you from this, another to just you know cherish every moment of it, it, it it's it's not going to be easy amen and be excited about the fact that god's using you be excited about the fact that god has a plan for you you'll be able to look back and see what god has done for his glory in your life amen god thank you miss janet miss janet gets it she's ready right god is sovereign He's sovereign in moving his people throughout the nations. He is sovereign in providing for his people throughout the nations. And then thirdly, God is sovereign in using his people throughout the nations. Look with me in verse 17. It says, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So here's what happens. God begins to not only provide, but God begins to set the stage so that he can use Daniel and he can use his companions. So after the, the three-year period mentioned in verse 5, they're brought before the king. The king begins to test them. And out of all the enchanters and magicians in the land, out of all the youths that had been brought in, out of all the king's advisors, Daniel and his three friends are found to be ten times better, wiser, smarter than all the rest. Now, I think there's two things going on. One, it is clear God gave them this wisdom. Amen? God gave it to them. It's clear in verse 17. They didn't just work harder. They didn't just happen to be smarter. God gave them learning and skill and literature and wisdom. God gave Daniel the understanding of visions and dreams. And God's going to use all of that for his glory. Right? God did that. Right? But something else I have found is that when we know the word of God, and we know how to rightly apply the Word of God, it works. All right? Let me say that again. All right, listen. When we know the Word of God, and we know how to rightly apply the Word of God, it works. Right? And it works better than any nonsense you find in society. 
Right? If you want to learn how to strengthen your marriage, don't go to Dr. Phil. Go to the Word of God. It works. Amen? And what I have found throughout my life is that when I know the Word of God and I know how to apply the Word of God, it makes me look wiser than all the rest because I'm doing what God's told me to do. Right? And I promise you, I'm not wiser. But I have learned that God is right. His Word is true. Amen? And so if we will obey the Word of God, if we will know and rightly apply the Word of God, we will be wiser in appearance than all the rest simply because we're doing what God said to do. Amen? Listen, don't tell my dad, but I have finally, eventually, now 42 years old, learned that my dad was right about a lot of the stuff that I thought he wasn't right about when I was younger. Again, don't tell him, right? But I've just figured out that there was some wisdom there that I didn't have, right? Listen, my dad, you know, he's a great guy, loves the Lord, but my dad is not the heavenly father. Amen? And what I've found is that as much as my dad knows, my heavenly father knows more, and what he's given us in his word has proved to be 100% right all the time. Amen? And so God provides, God sovereignly gives Daniel and his companions wisdom and understanding. God provides everything that they need so that they can be used. And what we're going to begin to see at the end of verse 20, we begin to see that God is now setting the stage for Daniel and his companions to be used by him in a mighty way so that God can get glorified in the midst of a pagan nation. Now, we're going to see this as we continue on, but the impact that Daniel and his companions have in Babylon that then will become the Persian Empire is still having an impact to this day, right? There is correlation that happens here and the three wise men that come to visit Jesus. Daniel has a huge impact, and that impact is still persisting to today. God used Daniel for his glory. Amen? And God wants to use us for His glory as well. Also, one last thing I don't want you to miss. Do not miss how Daniel and his friends point us to and prepare us for Jesus. These will not be the last that are ripped from their home, placed into a pagan land, all for the purpose to bring God glory. It was Jesus who left heaven, came to this pagan land, to bring God glory, and to bring us salvation. Amen? And although this doesn't explicitly lay out the gospel for us, it prepares us for what we're going to see in Jesus. It was Jesus who came from heaven down to this earth to make a way for our salvation. And if we will repent of our sins, and if we will believe in who Jesus is and what he accomplished on the cross, if we will commit ourselves to following after Jesus, then God, listen to this, will take sinners like us he will transform us and conform us into the image of His Son. And in doing so, He will bring Himself glory and we will get salvation as a benefit. Amen? You know why God saves us? It's not just because He loves us and desires a relationship for us. It's ultimately because He wants to be glorified in us. And if God can take a wretch like me and make Him His child, God's the one that gets glorified, not me. Amen? You look at 
think, what was God thinking, right? I know, right? And you look at me, and you see what God can do, and you say, God deserves the glory, not that bum. Amen? Amen. And that's what we all know of each other, by the way. We're church family. We've seen the good and the bad of each other. We've seen the strengths and we've seen the weaknesses. And the fact that God can use us for His glory brings glory to God, not us. Amen? And that's exactly what we see taking place as we begin the book of Daniel. God is sovereign. He is sovereign in moving His people throughout the nations. He is sovereign in providing for His people throughout the nations. And He is sovereign in using His people throughout the nations. So let me ask you a couple of questions this morning. First of all, have you trusted Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior? Daniel and his companions are pointing us to the one who came to this pagan land, died on a cross for our sins so that we could have salvation. If you're here and you've never trusted Jesus, I want you to know that God loves you and God wants a relationship with you. Secondly, believers, let me ask, what is God doing in your life right now? Does it seem good or does it seem bad? Be confident that no matter what it seems, God is still sovereign and God is still at work. That may not make you feel better, but it's a good reminder that God is sovereign and God is using all things, the good, the bad, and the ugly, for His glory. Right? And so let's make sure that we're allowing God to use us for His glory. Lastly, let me ask you this. Are you willing to be used by God if being used by God looks something like this? That's a tough one. Right? None of us want to be ripped. None of us want to be thrown into the midst of a pagan culture and society. None, none, of, us, none of us want to have this kind of testimony. Right? But if we're truly following after God, if we're giving God our all and our everything, then we need to be ready to follow the Lord no matter what it costs. Will you pray with me? with your heads bowed and your eyes closed and just you and the Lord. First of all, let me remind you that God does love you. God wants a relationship with you. And so if you're here this morning and if you're listening online and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I would love to tell you more about how you can give your life to Jesus, how you can become His child and how you can follow after Him. Believers, Are you willing to let God use you to bring glory to Himself? What if that means difficulties? What if it means moving? What if it means difficult transitions in your life? We've got to get to the place that we're ready to be used by God no matter what it costs and no matter what it looks like. We have to remember that we are here for the glory of God. 
And we have to do everything we can, remembering that God is sovereign, remembering that God is faithful, so that God can use us for His glory. Lord, we thank You and we praise You for all that You're doing and going to do as we study through the book of Daniel. Lord, help us to see Your sovereignty on display and help us to respond with faith and with thanksgiving, ready to be used by You to bring You glory. We love you and we praise you, Lord Jesus. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as we uh, go into our time of invitation, this altar is open. If you feel like the Lord has laid something on your heart and you'd like to come pray, I'd be happy to pray with you. The altar is open. You can come pray here. If you feel the Lord speaking to you about your salvation and you've got questions or you want to talk, I'd love to talk with you either now or after the service is over. But I want to just challenge you as we begin the book of Daniel. I want you to to just be challenged, encouraged, and ask yourself the question, am I willing to be used for God's glory even if it means something that's hard? Amen? Amen.